Good morning, everybody. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. You know, God has a way of just uh, moving and setting everything up uh, to honor Him. Uh, I appreciated so much the words that Keith shared. It goes uh, great with what God put on my heart uh, to preach this morning. Uh, looking to God. You know, we've been talking about the desires that are in our hearts. We've been talking about fulfillment. And this morning's sermon is just a practical answer of what do we do when we feel that desire, we want to put it to God, we want to get ourselves on track. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I think the whole reason we have this battle is because the desires that are in our heart. God wants to be the desire of our heart. God is, you know, playing the, the hide and seek. And I loved what Keith said. It, it's not about uh, the hiding. It's about the finding. And it's the excitement of connecting. It's the excitement of making that discovery. And that's really what God wants for us. And it says, in Him is that guilt-free living without being condemned. It's we, we wake every morning with a light heart, a light conscience, a hopeful, faithful spirit that today is going to be a good day. And without Christ, we're doomed to a miserable, empty, hopeless, kind of dooms-filled outlook. Probably each one of us can relate to that mindset. And so you read that passage and you go, oh, man, no condemnation. Who wouldn't want to live every, uh, every day of their life without feeling condemned? You know, when you feel condemned, it's just miserable. You'll feel, you feel lousy. And God says, I know the battle that's in your heart. And so I set up Christianity so that you can live without that oppressive dark cloud over you each and every day. And you say, where's the battle come from? Well, go back to Romans chapter 7. Verse 15. This is a passage all of us can relate to. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, I just want to stop right there. You ever, you know felt like, man, they're talking about me right there. You know, this is Paul writing about his life and his struggle with his desires to do what's right. You know, the theory of Christianity is pretty easy. You know, that's not where our problem lies. As we come here to worship God this morning, the problem is not, okay, do I know the right thing? You know, I just hope I learn intellectually what the right thing to do in my life is. That's really not why we're here. We're here because we already know the theory. You know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Almost every big decision, uh, you know, situation in life, if you just stop and pause for a moment, you go, yeah, I think I know what Jesus would do right here. The problem is not the theory. It's this. I do not understand what, what I do. What I want to do, I didn't do that. What I didn't want to do, that's what I ended up doing. 
Why is my life this way? Why is this so hard? He goes on. He says in verse 19, For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. You know, you ever feel like that? Man, I was possessed right there. That wasn't even me. It was my parents' DNA. They took over for me right there. That's what it is. It was my genes. He says, I find this law at work. Verse 21, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Why is it so hard to do what's right? I mean, you know, I set my mind and I go, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the way I'm going to behave. Here's the way I'm going to live. Here's the way I'm going to think. And then as soon as I make that decision, it becomes difficult. Why is it so hard? He said, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Paul is talking about wrestling with the sinful nature. This is not the battle before you become a Christian. Now that is a battle then. But if you're like me, you feel that the longer you go as a Christian, the more sinful you feel sometimes, even though from an outward way of living, you've made so much growth and progress. Because you're much more aware of the battle. You're much more aware of your sinful nature. You're much more aware of the desires that work in there, and it feels more difficult. And Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He's our hope. He's our answer. He's the model. He's what we look to. No, there's no other place to put our eyes. There's no other place to give us that focus. Which brings me to Matthew chapter 6. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about where we're going to put our trust, where we're going to put our security. And he says in verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And Jesus just says, your eyes are the key. What is it about the eyes? Well, the eyes are what you're looking at. It's what you're looking to. It's what your model is. That's what you're looking to. And I came up with a subtitle of the sermon today. It was too long to fit on the, ta- the, the, the title, so I just called it Look to God. But here's the subtitle. Life is like training a puppy. We just got a new puppy in our house. Little Bailey. Little two-month-old Cocker Spaniel puppy. And she is the cutest thing. But I did not realize that we just got a new daughter in our, in our household. Um, it is exhausting. We've never had a puppy before. We've had human puppies. We have not had dog puppies. (laughs) 
And, you know, when you start working with a puppy, you're like, oh, my goodness, we do not know what we're doing. And so Cheryl's been studying out the Internet. We've been consulting all kinds of puppy experts. Lashana gave us a book from the dog whisperer, you know, Cesar Milan from Santa Clarita, by the way. And so we're trying to, you know, compile all the knowledge and wisdom to help that puppy grow into a good adult dog. And she's doing pretty good. But I'll tell you a story that's very current. So we're crate training our dog, and she's doing great, you know, with that. But so, you know, she whimpered at like 3 a.m., so I got up at 3 a.m. to take her out. And right away she went and she peed. Good girl, you know, and that's awesome. Take her back, put her in the crate. 6.30 a.m., she whimpers again, take her out. And I'm like, man, this training thing's working pretty good. About 8.30, Michael takes her out uh, to the front grass, but left the front door open. So while they're out there in the grass, she bolts in, poops on the carpet, then runs back out to play with Michael. like, Bailey, what what are you thinking at that moment? It's like, hey, this playing with Michael is a really good thing. Hold on. Let me poop on the carpet first. I'll be back out to play. You know, you start thinking you're gaining ground, and then it's like, well, wait a second. Now, but, but the dog whisperer said, do not get stressed out or tense if your dog relieves himself in the house. It's a very natural course of life for a dog to do that. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. He said, you are teaching your dog how to transition from its first pack, which was its doggy family, to its second pack, your family. And so what you do is training the dog. And your attitude and your atmosphere and how you behave and how you interact with it is training the dog what is good behavior. And then you think, you know what, really, that's what Jesus wants to be for us. We're the puppy. You see, and the reason I read Romans 8 is because we make a mess all over the place. You know, we're out there, Jesus says, hey, let's go play in the front yard. And we're like, well, well, let me go take a poop where I shouldn't first. And then I'll come back and play. And Jesus is like, um, that's really not appropriate for your Christian life. Why did you make that decision? And you're like, I don't know, but I did it at the time. We're, learn- we're learning new behavior. And according to Dog Whisper. The puppy's going to learn from the pack. You know what? Jesus is the pack leader. And that's why he said, if the eyes are good, the whole body is good. But is that who we look to? You know, point number one is look to God for enjoyment. Yeah, that's where the real life is is with God. We're not going to find true happiness outside of that. God is the source 
of what we're looking for. He wired us that way. In Psalm 63, this is a passage where, you know, if you're ever struggling to connect with God, just, just read this and you go, oh, man, this is where I want to be. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you're my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. If you ever had a new puppy in your house, you know, I mean, this is their mindset. Every time you walk in the house, they're excited to see you. You put them in the crate, and they're whimpering because they want to get out because they want to be with you. Even in the middle of the night, when the lights are off and the crate is right next to the bed, they know you're there. And they, they whimper. Why? Because they want the connection. Because that's where their joy is. They love it. They want to lick you. They want to bite you. They want to play with you. They want you to roll a ball so they can mess around with it. They want to bite your, you know, you try, you try and have a quiet time. And Bailey gets up in the lap and starts biting the Bible and the book I'm reading. And it's like, I'm trying to connect with God. And she's like, yeah, I'm trying to connect with you. And, you know, but they're just excited. Yeah, you read Psalm 63 and you go, that's the way this writer felt. David was, he was like, earnestly, I want to connect with God. Are you passionate about connecting with God? Do you feel like you're in a dry and weary land apart from God? How would you describe your daily time with him? Is it stale? You know what David said? My soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods. He said, I even think of you on my bed in the middle of the night. This is not some compartmentalized checklist item that you get done with in the morning and now you don't have to worry about it tomorrow. David says, man, I'm just excited to connect. I got a challenge for you this week. Add to your relationship with God. You go, my relationship with God is great. Add an additional 15 minutes a day to whatever you normally do. It can only get better. You go, my relationship with God stinks and add 30 minutes a day. You go, my relationship with God is non-existent. Add 45 minutes a day. You know, it, it's incredible. When, when, you, when you add to what you're already doing, you get more connected, more excited, and deeper. But let me tell you how, how the sinful nature works. Well, I just don't feel close. So what do we do? 
We spend less time. Why? Because I don't feel connected. Ah, when I pray, I feel like it's bouncing off the clouds. What's the point? So we talk less. Oh, I'm not getting anything out of my Bible study. So we read less. Like, now, why would we do that? That is the exact opposite of the very thing that we need the most. That's why Romans 7 says, I do not understand what I do. Would you ever give that counsel to anybody else? I don't feel connected with God. Okay, then do less than what you've been doing. Just skip a couple days. Pray less, read less. You know, sometimes people go, well, I'm struggling in my faith, so I just want to take some time off church. What? That's like my marriage isn't good. So we just need to be apart for a year. Oh, that'll help communication. It makes no sense at all. What we need is more. Say, add to whatever you're doing. If you're a rigid, routine person, you'll have a hard time with this. Because that 15 minutes, that 30 minutes, that 45 minutes requires changing. Yeah, it does. Maybe you spend time over your lunch break in addition to what you're doing in the morning. Maybe you carve time out before bed. You know, add to what you're doing. Never, ever be satisfied with your current level of connection. And we want, we want to be connected the way, the way David wanted to be connected. Say, so, you know what? God is excited waiting for us to go there with him. But we have to look to God for our enjoyment. You know, sometimes we need to turn off whatever it is that we look to for enjoyment. Because the longer we look for enjoyment in something other than God, the more strange and weird it feels to try and find it with God. You know, sometimes we can get so out there, we go, quiet time. That is such a pat answer. No, it's that you've been looking at other things for your enjoyment for so long that now it's weird. To connect with God. You know, we can get that way in relationships, human relationships. We can have such lousy communication that we get to the point that we think the only way to have a great marriage is take a great vacation. That somehow that's a substitute for great communication. And to sit down and have a talk. You ever gone to a restaurant and and people watched? It's amazing sometimes. I people watch a lot as a minister. And sometimes, you know, you go to a restaurant and you look and you have couples and they eat their whole meal and don't talk at all. Like, they might as well have gone separately. You 
We need to look to God for enjoyment. Sometimes we just need to turn off the TV, turn off the Internet, turn off whatever it is that, that's attracting your mind. Stop looking there. Jesus says if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. You can't keep looking at all the same things and think that your heart's going to be in a different place. Look to God for enjoyment. Point number two. Look to God for trust and security. In Psalm 62, verse 5 through 12, it says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. You know, I I see this lived out in our little puppy's life. Um, She's very playful, but as soon as she gets scared... She will run and sit right between your feet. You know, and there's times where you're just kind of living life and you, really, you almost step on her because she's there and you didn't know it. And, you know, she gets in some kind of scared environment and she just runs right over there and curls up by your feet because that's where the safe place is. You know, you know where your trust and security is by where you go when tough things happen in life. Remember, there's the theory of Christianity, and then there's the practical. You know, some of us go into our shell. I'm, you know, I'm putting up all the walls. Nobody's going to get in here. I am going through struggles, and I will figure it out. I go to my human wisdom. You know, sometimes we, we get angry, and we think... If I get angry enough, I can manipulate my way into getting what I want. That's, that's where I go. The Bible here talks about looking to wealth. Talks about, you know, the low-born and the high-born. Listen, all human life, it's, it's just merely a breath. Don't put your security in status. Sometimes we think if we're popular, if we're important, if we're influential... Then I can, I can feel, you know, like I've arrived and I'll be secure in who I am. No, your life is but a mist. You know, I think about my life and just, you know, events of recent occurrence. I've already shared about Dad having stage 4 melanoma. You know, it's, it's just kind of weird when you know there's a clock ticking and you don't know when the end time is. Of course, the truth is for all relationships, there's always an end. But it's weird when you spend time or when you talk on the phone and you wonder, is, is this the last time? You know, right now the treatment's going fine. He feels great. But as the doc said, 
You have no idea. You don't know if it's three more months or six more months or nine more months or a year. The statistics said nine to 12 months. But you won't know if it gets nine to 12 until you get to nine to 12. So you don't take anything for granted. And it's just an odd feeling to interact. And you know what? All I can do is pray and enjoy the time I have. Be grateful for my dad and what I've learned from him. But it's out of my hands. You know, I think about over the last six months battling with migraine headaches. And, uh, you know, I remember in January going to see the doctor because, you know, it's you get those headaches and they get so intense that your eyes would focus separately and you're up here trying to preach and you can't read even your giant print Bible because it's like one page would be in focus and the other wouldn't. You know, so you finally said, all right, I need to I need to go to the dock and do something about it before I do or say something stupid. Um, and they always ask you, so are there any stressful things going on in your life? Well, <laughs> yeah. People normally don't call you with good news. Uh, you know, they stressful things going on in their life, and they want help from you. I've got two teenagers. Uh, you know, and he kind of chuckles. And he goes, okay, you know, and so they give you a different medication, and then you try, you know, and then this one has this side effect. So it solves that problem, but then it freaks your body out in a different way. And so then you try this medication, and you're like, and the doc goes, unfortunately, with migraines, they usually get worse as you get older. Oh, well, then I just need to stop getting older. And then my migraines won't get worse. You know, and you just sit there and you start thinking, am I going to have one of these chronic illnesses that I just got to live with the rest of my life? You know, maybe so. You know, right now we seem to have a, a good combination that's working. Who knows? But, you know, it forces you to trust God. I think about our kids. And one's moving to Minnesota about 2,000 miles away. One's moving 4,000 miles away. You know what? Last year, they were out of the house, but it was 30 miles and 90 miles. Hey, you know what? That's a nice distance. Because... They live on their own, so they're getting to learn a lot of life skills and things like that. But you can still drive there pretty easy and take them out to eat, do things for them. Now that's like 2,000 and 4,000 miles away. And as a parent, you know, it's like when the robins leave the nest and, and like really leave the nest, it's kind of scary as a parent. Because there's no guarantees and all you think about is, okay, We've, we've tried our best to teach and to mold and to parent. And now, now they're on their own. And we can pray and we can Skype. But there's not much more that we can do at that point. And all, all you can do is trust God. You know, those are just a few big things I can think of in the last six months. You know, what are you going through in your life? You know, for some of us, we go through a hard time and we think, okay, maybe it's a financial thing. So you, you think, I, I just need to make more money. You know, wise 20-year-old was telling me that, you know, 
They say money doesn't buy happiness, but I disagree. Now, I know the only happiness it buys is really short-term temporary. So the key is you have to make enough money so that every time the short-term wears off, you can buy something new. You know, we laugh. Do you think that way? Let me refer back to Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. You see, the theory of Christianity is so much easier than practical living. You know, can you look back at the last month or six months or year and go, man, I was trying so hard to put my security in here and it didn't work and I knew it wasn't the best place, but I did it anyway and then it didn't work out and now I'm kind of bummed out. It didn't work out, but I'm bummed out because I put my security there and not God and I knew it anyway. You know, we got to look for opportunities to trust God. Say, well, what does that look like practically? It means when you're going through a stressful, difficult, painful situation, it means purposely trust God at that moment. Now listen, doesn't matter how you feel. Don't buy into Satan's lie. Got to keep it real. No, that, that is just pure garbage. You will never be a good employee. You'll never be a good spouse. And you will never be a good parent. You'll never be a good at anything that matters if you're supposed to keep it real, which means just do whatever you feel in, in order to not be a hypocrite. That, that is a lie that Satan has sold us. So when you go through a tough situation, purposely trust God. You say, when I, when I am right in the thick of it, when I know I'm going through one of those character-building moments, do something to be even more committed. Do something to be even more spiritual, more faithful. It's learning to trust. It is a decision that you make in the moment. Because I promise you, the theory of what you'll do through difficult times makes sense until you're in the difficult time. You say, how do we trust God? Let me tell you a big way. By trusting the spiritual men and women that he puts in your life. You go, well, they may let me down. Oh, I can promise you, they will. Not always, but they're sinners just like we are. And they're not perfect. But God still uses the spiritual men and women in your life through all their flaws to tell you what you need to hear. You say, do I trust God? Well, here's a good litmus test. When you're going through struggles, do you bond closer with the spiritual men and women around you? Or do you spend less time? 
the more struggle, the more bonded we should be with the men and women that God has put in our life. First John says, how can we say we love people? If we don't love our brother. Or how, how can we say we love God if we don't love our brother? It's easier to love a human than it is to love God. Say, what are your relationships like? Say, we have to look for reasons to trust God. And you know what happens? When we do in the difficult times, it builds security. It becomes easier to trust in him with the next tough time. We could be like David when he's going to face Goliath and everyone around him is breeding mistrust. You can't do this. You're only a boy. That armor doesn't fit. You know, Goliath is going to kick your butt. And he says, no, God delivered the lion and the bear. And God's going to do it in this place. You see, when you build that consistent habit forming, finding security in God, then like the psalmist here in Psalm 62, he says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. That's the second key of, of trusting, is to pour out your heart to God. Are you honest with God in your prayer life, or do you pray what you think he wants to hear? You will not have a good connection if there's not an honesty in your prayer life. You say, well, I'm angry, and I don't think that's spiritual to pray angry things. No, that's what David did, and he was called a man after God's own heart. He prayed angry thoughts, depressed thoughts. He would sort out his heart. My soul, why are you downcast? He'd be bummed out and didn't even know why. And he's trying to work it out with God. <coughs> Happy thoughts, faithful thoughts, doubtful thoughts. He prayed it all. And there was a connection. Because God doesn't judge you when you come near to him and you're honest. It's like he's the one that's meant to take that part of who we are. He is our refuge. But we trust him when we pray honest prayers. Look to trust God. Finally, point number three, we need to look to be righteous. Romans chapter 6. Verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity 
into ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, I love how Paul describes this battle. That he says, you are going to be a slave of something. You know, there's not one of us that hears slavery and thinks, oh, I vote for that. You know, slavery is a fact of life. Paul said, here's the two choices. Sin or righteousness. There's no in-between ground. You know, be a slave means there is a definite master. It runs your life. It runs your thinking. It runs your, your whole value system, your schedule, your finances. When you're a slave, the master runs the show. Say, so well, you only have a choice of two things, sin or righteousness. You know, the dog whisperer says that your goal in training a puppy is by watching how you behave, you train it what is appropriate behavior you know when it talks in verse 17 and it says you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted that word form it's it's like it's a foundry term so you pour this molten metal into this form this mold and then when it solidifies A very specific object comes out the other side. It's not random. It's not this ooey-gooey thing. No, it's a solid form. It is Jesus. But there's a definite mold that we have to be poured into to get that. You know, sometimes we're rebellious against being molded. But do you realize that being rebellious against going into the mold of righteousness is just revealing the molding of your sinful nature? We say, well, I'm my own person. You know, and I'm just a prideful person and I don't like being restricted. Oh, no, you're fully restricted by your sinful nature. You say, well, I'm... I'm Worried about being a brainless robot. You know, and that, yeah, you know, it's just going to be a carbon copy and everyone's going to look the same and behave the same and there won't be any, any diversity. Yeah, look around. Yeah, that's a real problem. We got plenty of diversity. Lack of diversity will never be our challenge. Our problem is lack of Jesus. Remember Romans 7? You see, it comes right after this. I do not understand what I do. 
What I want to do, I do not do. You know, the thing about looking to be righteous is that obedience is purposeful. Repeated obedience will lead to a habit. You know, that's what we're trying to accomplish with, with Bailey. And so that it's not hard for her to, to behave the way that we want. You know, she doesn't feel restricted. That just becomes normal. And you know what? Christianity becomes that way. I remember when I was studying the Bible. You know, cussing and lustful thoughts. I just thought, there's no way that I could ever overcome these things. And I just thought as a Christian, it's just going to be this daily, hundred times a day struggle to not do that. And it's just, the Christian life is just going to be this eternal, tormenting battle of, you know, white-knuckling it. And, ah! You know, after 24 years as a Christian... I don't have to actively try to not cuss. Hopefully that's good news for you. The preacher doesn't have to actively not cuss. But I I remember the first time I was in a group of worldly people after I'd gotten baptized. And somebody threw out the F word. And I remember the first time I cringed. I was like, wow, I'm starting to think differently because before it wouldn't have phased me at all. I may not have even noticed. But some of those early days, I had to pray about it all the time. God, help every word to come out of my mouth. Be righteous. God, help no cuss words to come out. Convict me if I'm even thinking it so it doesn't get there in the first place. And to pray about it all the time. But after hours and days and weeks and months, life changed. So obedience became normal. But it had to be purposeful. Do you have areas of your life that you are purposefully obedient? You see, I know you have areas that you're obedient and it's become second nature. But that battle to do what's right that Romans 7 talks about, I do not understand what I do. That, that's areas that require purposeful obedience. Because that's the real test of our Christianity. It's not the things that we just do by habit that we feel great about. No, it's the ones that we're wrestling with. Say, do we minimize obedience or do we maximize it? Romans 8 talks about our mindset. And he says in verse 5, Romans 8, those who live according to sinful nature have their mindset on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You see, if the mindset's right, then the behavior will follow with it. And if you find yourself in a defensive posture on a regular basis about the behavior, let me urge you to take a step backwards and look at the mindset in the first place. Are you hostile to godly input? You find yourself all the time trying to convince people why. You don't understand what's really going on. No. The mindset will lead to behavior. You know, if we can put into practice point number one and point number two, we won't have to white knuckle it as a Christian. Oh, there's times that we'll have to do purposeful obedience. Let me tell you what Jesus called it, self-denial. It's when you are fully aware of the battle and you say, I choose to obey. You know, Paul said that Jesus is the answer. He's the source. He's what's going to rescue us. God is looking for that connection. You know, we all have desires in our life. God wired us that way. The point is not to not desire anything. It's to channel it in the right direction. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. God created us for that intimate connection with Him. Look to Him for enjoyment. Wherever your relationship with God, add to it. Spend extra time this week. 15, 30 minutes, 45. Hey, make it an hour extra. And look and see what God does. Look and see how you feel at the end of it. You'll go, man, why didn't I do that before? Point number two, look to trust God when you're in the midst of those hard times. Go to him for security. He's going to help us with spiritual men and women in our life. But he says, hey, pray honest prayers. Pour out your heart to him. He is our refuge. And finally, look to be righteous. Look for ways to obey. Not our habitually obedient ways, but know the battle when it's fighting fiercest. Deny yourself. The mindset will determine the behavior. God wants to be everything. God created us for an awesome relationship with him, an awesome purpose, and he knows what's going to make us happy and fulfill us. Let's put these things into practice as we take the desires that he's wired us with and see him as the answer for everything. Amen. Let's stand as we close.